Welcome to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesleyan Church. Get it, got it, give it. Here in The Sweat Room, we dive into today's questions about sports and faith. And now, here's your hosts, Noah and Bjorn. Welcome to The Sweat Room, everyone. Bjorn Webb here. Noah, who do we have the honor and privilege to interview today? Yeah, we're so honored to bring you all George McGovern. George is an amazing guy. He's been a part of Athletes in Action for over 40 years now, 40 years of ministry. And during that time, he's been a part of some pretty amazing organizations, being a chaplain for, I don't know, some pretty big teams like the New York Jets, the Giants, the Mets, and he's currently the chaplain of the New York Yankees. So welcome to the SWAT room george mcgovern all right welcome to the sweat room everyone my name is bjorn webb i'm the sports and fitness director at watermark wesleyan church and today we have the privilege of interviewing george mcgovern on the sweat room so welcome to the sweat room george thanks a lot guys good to be with you yeah so we are interested to hear a little bit more from you about new york sports and so first i want to start off with just asking do you have a favorite New York sports memory? Probably uh, the Super Bowl where David Tyree caught what's called the helmet catch. Oh, um, legendary. I was working with the, uh, doing the chaplaincy work with the Giants uh, during that time and privileged to go to the Super Bowl. They threw me up in the coach's booth uh, during the games. And so from the coach's booth, I was able to watch that particular play. It was the turning point of the game and the type of catch, you know, called a miracle catch because the ball landed against Tyree's helmet and he held on to it and uh, fell to the ground without it touching the ground. That was probably uh, one of the standout moments for me as a New York sports fan and, and uh, connected to the Giants at that time. Wow, that's crazy. And so I've got to ask, when, when that play happened, did you know right away that it was a catch or did you think it wasn't? Or what was your initial reaction or in the coaches booth? What were you guys thinking? We, we, uh, we were all waiting for the review because uh, we, it happened so fast. We couldn't tell whether the ball hit the, you know, touched the ground when he went down, uh, whether he held onto it or not. So we were all kind of wanting it confirmed by instant replay. And it was, and uh, it was, it was a great moment. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's crazy. Oh, I know. That was, I, I, that's, it was so crazy watching that. I'll never forget that game. That was awesome. A lot of people don't remember that he caught a touchdown that game too, um, early in the game. And so he had really, he was not one of the starting wide receivers. He was a, a backup. He was like the fourth, maybe fifth wide receiver on the team. Mm. And being a young Christian at the time, he, he really had a, was given a platform to share his faith because of uh, those two moments in the Super Bowl that uh, changed the direction of the game. Uh, so he he wisely used that platform that that the game gave him uh, to honor the Lord. It was it was a great few weeks after that Super Bowl game as well to hear him talk about his faith in Christ and and how uh, he felt God put him in a position like that through those two moments that gave him a platform to share his faith that he would not have had being a backup wide receiver uh, unless those two plays had happened. Mm, absolutely. So speaking of faith, um, I know you're a part of 
AIA, which is Athletes in Action. Um, I'd love for just our listeners, just what, what is Athletes in Action and how did you get involved there? AIA is a branch of CREW, which is a, uh, a, a Christian uh, missionary organization. Uh, it has mostly has work on college campuses around the world, but it has an athlete's branch, and AIA is the name of that branch. AIA works primarily with collegiate athletes, also has a division that works with professional athletes and coaches. And the basic heartbeat of Athletes in Action, which is also the basic heartbeat of its parent organization, is to win, build, and send students and athletes uh, into the world for Christ. Win them to Christ, build them in their faith, train them to then go and, and reach others for Christ. Win, build, send would be the heartbeat of Campus Crusade and thus Athletes in Action. So we do, we do what crew does on a college campus. We simply translate that to a professional sports team and seek to serve that team by helping guys understand what the gospel is, receiving Christ, growing in their faith, and then training those who want to be trained uh, into using their platform as a professional or collegiate coach or player uh, sure. to uh, share Christ with others. Wow. And, and George, could you maybe tell us a little bit of um, maybe why you first got, it, got involved with AIA and, and how, um, I guess, how you sort of got, got started there? Sure. I, I came to Christ as a freshman in college, uh, grew in my faith during those four years, and went right on the staff of crew right out of college, served in the campus ministry, from 1976 to 1990, so whatever that is, about 14 years working on a college campus. It was during my last few years in that ministry that I got acquainted with the Athletes in Action work in the New York metropolitan area. One of the AIA staff who then was working with the New York Jets and the New York Mets was asked to take a leadership position at our headquarters, and Scotty asked me if I would want to take his place with the Jets and the Mets as their chaplain. Uh, we had just had our fourth child, or fourth daughter, and campus ministry is pretty hectic. Uh, and so being a husband and father and a campus director for crew, you know, it was hard for me to juggle all those balls and feel like I was keeping them all up in the air at the same time. And sometimes my priorities got out of whack and I was more involved in campus ministry than I was being a good husband and father. And so when that request came, it seemed like a good time for us to make a move. Uh, the work with the athletes and coaches would be a little bit more family friendly. We, were, we could involve our children more in the, in the work. Uh, in fact, they babysat for a lot of uh, New York Jets couples Bible studies that we had uh, over those years. So we were able to make that switch uh, mainly because of a family priority. And uh, then after about six years with the Jets and the Mets, we were asked to switch over to the Giants and Yankees and have uh, did the Giants for 20 years, and I am still doing the Yankees the 25th year with the Yankees. So wow. it was mainly just uh, a, a stage of life transition and being in the, like they say, the right place at the right time. I, I didn't pursue it. It kind of showed up on our radar screen. Sure, sure. Yeah, so you've mentioned um, that you've worked with, uh, you know, currently are working with the Yankees and also the, the Giants, Jets, and Mets. What, what was it like being the chaplain for those four major sports teams in New York City? Well, a um, couple thoughts 
one is on any team, just like in any small population of people, you've got those who are interested in the gospel, those who are lukewarm toward it, and then those who couldn't care less about the gospel. And so when I would go into a locker room or connect with guys, whatever situation it might be, I was aware that there were those three semi uh, or small populations within the larger population and that is true regardless of whether it's baseball or basketball or football there's always a percentage interested a percentage lukewarm and then a percentage uh no interest at all it's like the parable of the four soils that jesus taught where some seed fell on the road some fell on uh, uh, uh soil that had weeds in it and then some fell on good soil uh it that that parable rings true uh even to this day there's there's a percentage of people who will be interested and a percentage who will not be interested and others will be distracted in the middle so new york sports ministry is 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 basically taking the message of god's good news of faith in christ and forgiveness of sin into those clubhouses or locker rooms and doing it in a way that is sensitive, realizing that I'm an invited guest into the locker room. I'm not employed by those teams. Uh, I don't get paid by those teams. So I've got to be very wise, careful, uh, and be salt and light and yet not offensive. And so there's a little bit of a diplomatic uh, necessity to play that to play that role or to be that type of person in, in the locker room or the clubhouse. Uh, unfortunately, uh, God gifted me with a, kind of a personality or a, 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 an approach to life where I can be unassuming and, and uh, uh, unoffensive to some degree. And so I was able to survive and navigate those waters because if one player tells the coach, hey, that guy's bothering me or I don't like that guy, uh, that player wins that argument. I'm, I'm out of there. And so uh, I, I, you have to be a, a, a diplomat, put it that way, a Christian diplomat uh, when you're working in professional sports ministry. Mm. That's, that's awesome. So kind of just leading off that, you've been a part of some legendary, and I do mean legendary organizations in New York. Um, what is the spiritual climate among players and coaches uh, just just within those organizations that you've been a part of? You know, each year is a little different. There are some years with uh, a sports team where you would have half the team come out to chapel and maybe a quarter or more of the team come to Bible study. So, for instance, with the New York Giants, there were some years where we would have uh, uh, 25 players come out to chapel and maybe five or six coaches. But then there were other years as the team changes its uh, its face in a sense uh, where we would have 12 players come out and, and three coaches and so uh, it, it varies from season to season it usually depends on the spiritual leadership in the locker room I can influence only to a certain degree but a player particularly a starter maybe a captain of the team if he is a solid believer and has a, a lifestyle that backs up his faith and he's able to articulate and encourage men to come to chapel, come to Bible study. That fellow plays a key role in the, call it the success of the ministry. Uh, my role really is to train 
the, the leaders on the team who are Christians to use their influence to, inf- to influence other players uh, for Christ or, or coaches to do the same in their, with their ranks. Uh, it's player on player that really makes a difference uh, in, in ministry in, uh, in, in both collegiate and professional sports teams. It's the player, the, the uh, strength of the player as a Christian that will really uh, influence the team big time. The, the, the chaplain basically is there to train the players, key players, to do the ministry. Mm. Wow, that's so interesting. I love that. Just, you know, you're raising up future leaders and, you know, helping sharpen, you know, what, what they know and who they are. So you mentioned that, you know, a lot of the ministry is, is through players. Are there some leaders or some players that you've worked with throughout the years that have stood out to you as just maybe, you know, uh, just a standout leader? Sure. Uh, I think of Joe Girardi uh, with the Yankees. He's now with the managing the Phillies. But uh, when he played in the late 60s, I'm sorry, late 90s with the Yankees, and then when he managed the Yankees, uh, just a stand-up guy, great character guy, man of faith, uh, good husband, good father, uh, good role model. He, he stands out as one of the, one of the key guys. Uh, Aaron Boone, the current manager, for the Yankees is another solid believer who leads by his example. Uh, on the football side, I, I think of Mike Barrow was one of our middle linebackers in the early 2000s. And Michael had a strong faith in his character. He was well-respected in the, in the locker room. And he led, he was one of those influencers. He could, he could just by his invitation could invite four or five guys to chapel out of the six he would invite, four or five of them would come to chapel because they respected him so much. So those are some examples of, of key leaders over the years. Wow, that's amazing. And, you, and I'm sure you've had just the ability just to come alongside just some amazing guys. So just co- going along that, um, is there a particular uh, story that comes to mind of just coming along somebody uh, just in a crisis? Well, the one that jumps out real quickly is uh, a former New York Jets player by the name of Dennis Bird. Dennis played in the early 90s, 91, 92, thereabouts. And he broke his neck uh, in a game at Giant Stadium in November of 92, I believe it was. And so I was watching the game at home that that day. And uh, when I heard he was going to be taken to Lenox Hill Hospital, uh, I hopped in my car, drove to Lenox Hill. I didn't know if they would let me in or not, but I identified myself uh, as the chaplain for the team, and they ex- escorted me into the intensive care unit. Dennis was on a table. His uh, shoulder pads were still on. They had sawn off his helmet to stabilize his neck, but uh, he was conscious, talking. His wife, Angie, and Pepper Burris, one of the assistant trainers, was in the room, the only people in the room at the time. And so we gathered around Dennis and, and uh, we're trying to encourage him. And he said, hey, can we pray? And I said, sure. And so we, we prayed for Dennis, put our hands on his shoulders and, and prayed for him. And then when uh, we stopped praying, opened our eyes, uh, Dennis was crying, weeping, uh, really. And once he got his composure, we asked him, what's going on, Dad? How you, what are you feeling? And he said, he said you, want to, you want to know why I'm crying? And, he, and we said, sure. He said, I'm crying because I'm remembering that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And what was apparent by that 
comment was Dennis was realizing that every foundational column in his life had been knocked out from underneath him in that split second of time on that football field. Didn't know whether he'd be able to feel his body again. He was paralyzed at that point from his neck down. Didn't know if we'd ever be able to hold his wife, Angie, again, or the baby that was in Angie's womb due in about three or four months. Uh, Didn't know how he was going to provide for his family. I mean, all those foundational parts of his life had been knocked out from underneath him, except for the foundation of his relationship with Jesus Christ. That column, that, that one foundational piece was still there. And so he was remembering the only foundational piece left in his life at that moment was that Jesus Christ was his savior and that he had died for his sins. And, uh, that was a, uh, an important moment, I think, both for Dennis and for all of us in the room that day, was to realize there was a man struggling with uh, life's worst adversities, and yet he was clinging to his relationship with God as uh, his only hope. And it was, uh, and uh, six weeks later, Dennis uh, walked out of Mount Sinai Hospital. Uh, on crutches, but nevertheless, the doctors initially thought he would never feel anything from his neck down. But I think through, wow. uh, through God's God's work and the miracle of medicine, uh, he was able to uh, to walk out uh, of Mount Sinai Hospital. And uh, he never gained full strength back into his legs and body, but he was able to coach his high school football team uh, for a number of years after that back in Oklahoma. Wow. Man, that's a, that's a crazy story. I can't imagine just what, what all that must've been like. And, you know, yeah, just, man, that's, yeah, that's crazy. That's such a, such a testimony to just the the hope that we have in Christ. And I I love just, um, yeah, just you being able to be there and and to be able to to share in that experience. Cause I'm sure that was such a testimony to you as well as, as, you know, as you were walking alongside him, um, just being able to see that faith that he had. It sure was. And it was a testimony to uh, his teammates. Uh, Scotty Mercero was the fellow that he plowed his head into uh, trying to tackle the quarterback. And Scotty came to Christ as a result of that whole experience. Wow. A number of other ball players on the team, Kyle Clifton, a linebacker uh, for the Jets at that time, um, was a young Christian and uh, didn't really identify himself as a believer on the team. But after that, he really took a stand for Christ and uh, began to grow in his faith. So Dennis's injury, as, as bad as that was, it was, uh, it was a catalyst for, for either salvation or growth in a number of the ballplayers on the Jets team that year. Wow. That's incredible. And, and what, you know, what effect does, does that type of injury, what effect does that have on a team with the players? And, cause I, you know, we talked about, yeah, the effect it had on Dennis and then the, you know, possible eternal impact that it had as well. Um, but the rest of that season, like, what was that like after, you know, having a teammate or a player go down like that? What, what does that change for a team? Well, in a couple ways, um, I think spiritually it got guys thinking about, hey, what, what if I ever broke my neck and uh, how would I respond to that level of adversity? So there was, uh, as I mentioned, Mercero, Paul Fraze, Kyle Clifton, a number of other ball players. It, it took their walk with God to another level. 
But then uh, I think in, in just on a sheer athletic level, Dennis's uh, recovery and the way he was uh, positive about life afterwards, it just inspired those guys, even on the field. The next Sunday, they went on to beat the Buffalo Bills, who were the best team in the division that year. Shout um, out, go Bills. <laughs> yeah, they went on to beat the Bills up in Buffalo uh, the, the Sunday following Dennis's uh, injury the previous Sunday. So for, for you know, whatever that was worth, I think there was some inspiration uh, among the ball, among the team to, to kind of come together around Dennis and to win one for the bird in a sense, uh, you know, that type of thing. But, but the primary difference was the, the spiritual and emotional impact it had on the, on the coaches and the players. Wow. That's so amazing that we can look back on, on such a, such a terrible tragedy and see, and see the eternal impact and see the positive side. I know it's so hard when you're in the middle of, of tragedy or heartache to, to see how God is working through that. And so I love that, that you're able to now sort of step back, you know, years and years later and say, yeah, like that's practically how God worked through that time uh, and, and turned, you know, this into something that was so good and had an impact on so many people, um, including yourself and so many others. I think of another story. This is kind of the opposite, but again, an impact made. Scotty Brocious was a third baseman for the Yankees in the late 90s. He won the MVP for the 98 World Series, I believe, uh, where the Yankees beat the uh, San Diego Padres. And uh, normally the MVP of the World Series is and, and always is invited to the Jay Leno uh, Saturday night uh, what. You know, those evening shows, the Jay Leno and well, I forget what that's called. but you know, Late night shows, late night talk yeah, show hosts. Late night, and then also Good Morning America. Oh, yeah. MVP is usually highlighted as the World Series, you know, story. And uh, Scotty was invited to the Jay Leno show and Good Morning America and whatnot. He could have made a quarter of a million dollars in about 18 hours of work, meaning one oh, couple man. of one night or something like that but he had promised his five-year-old daughter Megan that he would be home for her birthday and so after the Yankees wow. won, the, won the World Series they came back to New York they had the ticker tape parade down Broadway and then Scotty headed home to uh, uh, McMinnville Oregon which is where they made their home and uh, he passed up the opportunity to make a quarter of a million dollars by showing up on two or three or four shows. And his comment was, there's not enough money in the world to, uh, to break a promise that's worth breaking a promise to your five-year-old daughter when you promised to be home for her birthday. And her birthday was, she wow. would have missed her birthday if he stayed in New York those two extra days. So it just shows again the character and the impact and the impact that that had. And when that went public, that Brocious passed up all that money in order to be home with his daughter on her birthday. Uh, it spoke volumes to his character and to his faith in Christ. Wow! Talk about having your priorities in check. That's that's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. 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 So so George, what, you know, you've been 
as we, as we talked about, a part of, you know, some storied franchises over the years. And there have been many championships that have come out of um, multiple teams that you've been directly associated with. What's it like being a chaplain for these teams during maybe very successful seasons, winning World Series, Super Bowls, and then also on the flip side, when teams are maybe not doing so well in the wins and loss column? Yeah, I mean, you ride an emotional roller coaster because you get so involved in the lives of these couples or individuals, athletes and coaches and their wives. So you, you feel their pain when they are in the last place like the Mets were for two or three of the years that I worked with them. They did not have good, successful teams. And so you had you felt their pain as they, as they were in last place for the whole season. But then on the opposite side, you, you share a little bit and you witness a little bit of the ecstatic joy and, and sense of fulfillment or success when a team wins the Super Bowl or the World Series. Now, a chaplain has little to no effect on those things. I've learned long, long ago that you know, if you take responsibility for wins, you've, all got, you've also got to take responsibility for the losses. And I've been with enough, enough teams over those years to not want to take responsibility for all the losses that I've seen. So, <laughs> so, uh, but you do get to be kind of a fly in the wall in the lives of some ball players, coaches, and their wives who are going through those ups and downs. We pray for them to uh, remain stable during those really hard moments, and you pray for them to remain humble during the very successful moments because success can breed pride pride is the killer of men uh and yet uh defeat can be uh devastating as well to to faith and so you you it, whether they're on top of the game or on the bottom of their game prayer is critical to their lives because it uh, and, and and short small conversations to give them perspective I found was was needed because uh, these guys get paid to win. And so when they lose, their jobs are on the line. When they win, as I mentioned, they can think that the, the world owes them something. And so uh, perspective uh, on both sides of the coin there can be important to, to their marriages, to their emotional stability as, as men, uh, and to their future careers. So we, I, my wife and I always tried to uh, pray for them and to encourage them with just small words, not sermons, but just small moments where we could either encourage them in their defeated moments or encourage them to remain humble in their victorious moments. Wow. And so, George, I have to ask, you know, coming, coming from Buffalo, where, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Bills fan myself, um, you know, Tom Brady has played in New England for many, many years, and he's been, you know, sort of that, you know, sort of it hurts in Buffalo to know and to see. It's George's favorite player, too. Uh, but what, you know, I have to ask, what was it like, you know, being able to be a part of a team that sort of dethroned, I guess you might say, Tom Brady twice in the Super Bowl? What was it like? I, I mean, uh there, there was that sensation that, hey, we're the only team that can beat this guy, you know. <laughs> uh, but the way those two games played out, uh, I mean, he almost brought him back twice in those two games. 
and uh, I think the Giants took a special delight in being the team that beat him twice. I think the Eagles beat him. Uh, the only other time he lost the Super Bowl, I think the Eagles beat him, I think. So the NFC East kind of has his number, but but there's no getting around the fact that he is the best of the best. And as far as a leader, from I don't know Tom personally, but from what I can see on the television screen, he seems to know how to lead men well. And he's, he's, he's a man of, of character and, and strength himself emotionally. So he, 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 uh, he leads well. But it was fun to beat him twice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, is, there a, is there maybe a, a championship that stands out to you um, that maybe, you know, is, is maybe more special or, 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 you know, just felt different than the other ones? Well, the 96 Yankees uh, who went into the World Series and then got beat the first two games against the Braves, so they were down 2-0 in that World Series and came back to win, I believe, four straight games. Uh, that probably stands out as one of the most special because when you're down 2-0, it, it, it's not a good feeling at all. Andy Pettit, who was one of the Christian leaders on the team uh, in those, those years, uh, he got beat real bad in game one of that series, if I'm not mistaken. But he came back his second start. He came back and pitched, I believe, a shutout, or at least a shutout. And uh, one nothing, I think, it was, was the score. And that was uh, one of the turning points. I think that was game four. And uh, tying the series at 2-2 two, 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 uh, was a key moment. And he pitched a gem of a game. And, and being a Christian and knowing him a little bit more than I knew some of the other fellows on the team, that was that stands out as one of those uh, oh, memories that uh, to see a comeback like that was, uh, it stands out in my mind as one of the great moments with, regarding championships. Wow, that's crazy. Wow. So just as we're finishing up today, uh, I, a question that we've asked just a few of just like off air, on air, um, being a part of some pretty amazing organizations, do you think it's okay or not okay to be praying for a victory? Yeah, great question. And uh, wrestled with it all these years. You know, God knows our hearts. He, we can't fake him out. We can't do a con job on him. We can't say one thing outside and he not know what we're thinking or feeling on the inside. So I think it's, it's, it's all right, in a sense, to, to pray your heart. And if you are an athlete and or a coach and you're getting paid to, uh, you're getting paid to win and uh, your job is on the line I, and, and, and you're desperate for a win because your, your job is on the line, I think it would be uh, inconsistent to have some type of flowery prayer about life and the importance of sportsmanship and not also include your heart, your heart's cry that God worked out some details for a win. Now, remember, the other guys, the guys on the other team are also praying the same. And so there's no advantage, I don't think, for one team to pray for a win and thinking that the other team is not doing the same thing. And I don't pretend to understand how God answers some prayers yes and some prayers no when it comes to sure. sport. And I think it's beyond our beyond our knowledge to know how he handles all those prayer requests. But 
I, I think it's, 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 it's normal and it's good, healthy to pray your heart. And if your heart is, God, I would love to win this game, say it. Might not register a whole lot in God's economy, but I don't think it's wrong to pray it. But I think it's more important to pray that uh, an athlete's or a coach's uh, attitudes, actions, words during a game reflect the gospel and reflect grace and truth. I think that's the most important thing that, that God's concerned about, that we live our lives uh, in a, in a, in a, as an expression of worship to him. And, and sports is a part of life, and we, uh, we're to worship him through our sport as much as we're to worship him through our Sunday morning church service. So we try to train athletes to play to the audience of one Meaning, when you when you compete as a coach or an athlete, you are competing uh, as w- where God is your audience. You're not competing whether your family is your audience or if you the the people in the stands are your audience or your family members, whatever. You're competing. Uh, you're playing for God in a sense, uh, with God in your heart and mind, and and He you've taken Him into that game as much as you take Him into any other part of your life. Well, as we come to a close today, George, do you just have any final thoughts or um, just any final regards just for our listeners? Well, I would, uh, if, if, if a listener follows a sports team, whether it be professional or collegiate, I would just encourage them uh, and, and the Christians, I would encourage them to just pray for the athlete, the coaches, their families, the, their wives, uh, high stress, mm-hmm. High stress life, a uh, lot of lot of things on the line, uh, bodily, uh, emotionally, financially, uh, well being uh, of the family, of the marriage, and the children. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot that a, a sports fan would not see on TV. That's behind the scenes. That's going on behind the mm-hmm. scenes. Uh, family disputes. Uh, fear of losing a job, dealing with injuries, trying to play through an injury. Coaches afraid they're going to lose their job because the team is, you know, four and ten and things like that. So, if they could just keep in mind that these are these are real people, put their pants on one leg at a time. They've got marital issues. They've got family stuff. They've got a, a, a distant uncle that wants tickets from them, and and all those kind of pressures. Uh, they don't even know the uncle, but he calls up and says, I'm your uncle Joe from, you know, 40 years ago. Uh, there's, there's all stuff going on behind the scenes that uh, these guys would covet the prayers, the intercession of others to, to, to pray for them, to, uh, for God to give them wisdom, strength, uh, stability, spiritual maturing, all that kind of stuff. So I would just encourage people to uh, add Add their favorite team and the players on those teams and the and the families involved. Add them to their prayer list. Mm, that's so good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining today, George. I know so many people are gonna take so much of what you had to say today, and well, the, just from everything, all your wise words to just even the Yankees and the Giants. I know. I know. For me, even when you were talking about David Tyree, I was like. I can still remember where I was for that catch. Thank you so much for joining us today, George. My pleasure, guys. Have a great day.
Wow. Thanks so much, George, for being with us. That was incredible. Noah, what, what are some of your sort of closing thoughts and uh, reflections on that time with George? Yeah. First off, George, you're a part of some legendary organizations. So for, for us, what a pleasure that was just being a part of a conversation where he's just impacted so many guys for so long. And so like right away when we started this interview, when we were just, when he was talking about David Tyree, I was like, Oh my gosh, what a legend. For sure. <laughs> Dude, that helmet catch not only was, I think it's probably the greatest catch in my opinion, just of, of where the pressure was. And that team that year, the Patriots were undefeated. So it, it just added to the flavor of it. And, you know, since most of the people listening are Buffalo fans, nobody likes the Patriots. So it was, it was great. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and yeah. that's the way it should be. Most of the fans in the world should be Buffalo fans. So <laughs> Bill's mafia or die. That's hey, it's, Amer- it's America's team, baby. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And then just, just him talking just of him coming alongside Dennis bird um, and when he broke his neck and just the reminder of that Christ is the foundation. Wow. That was powerful. Um, and then just even talking about um, one of the players in the Yankees and just how kind of like turned Jay Leno down to be with, with his daughter. I'm like, wow, a legend. So I, I just loved hearing that. Bjorn, what, what were some of your thoughts and what were some of your takeaways? Yeah, I thought it was incredible talking to somebody who's been a part um, no matter how big or how small of four storied franchises in New York City, uh, just a great place for sports. And the thing I loved the most was when he was talking about prayer and when we asked the question that I've struggled with at a personal level for most, if not all of my life, of whether it's right or wrong to pray for a victory. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's oh. when I'm playing myself or if I'm sitting on the couch on Sunday watching the Bills play and I'm like, ah, should I pray for this victory? Would that help? What, what's going to happen? But I just love how George answered and says like, yeah, it's, it's great to, to, to pray and talk to God and share our hearts with him. And you never know if he's going to answer it with a yes or a no. And, you know, God's plans are always bigger than ours. So praying doesn't give us that edge in that right. game. Uh, but it just, it, it draws us closer to God in sharing our hearts, because if it's something that we care about so deeply, you know, God cares about us so deeply. And so he cares that we care right. about that, which I loved. And, and also, man, I'm absolutely going to be putting my favorite sports teams, athletes, coaches on my prayer list, because talking to him, it really shined a light on the fact that these players and coaches and their wives, like they're real people and they've got a lot of pressure on their shoulders. They've right. got, especially the, the New York Yankees, like they probably have more fans than any other uh, besides maybe the Cubs. I don't know than any other MLB team. True. And they're being looked up to by so many with so many, you know, world series championships and everything that they've got a lot of pressure and I can't imagine what that's like. And so, yeah, my prayers go out to them and their families and that those guys can be a light where they're at. And I pray for George and his ministry and that he can touch the lives of those players in the ways that he's done in the past and have an eternal impact on them. And, you know, has that multiplication effect. You know, we talked about Dennis bird about how, yeah, he poured into Dennis's life and Dennis was an amazing Christian guy. And now Dennis's story is impacting others and their stories. Now they get to impact others as well. And that's really 
just a beautiful picture of the, the capital C church in action. It's that, you know, we can reach those in our small circle of influence, but those right. people can go out and influence people in their small in- circle of influence and we can go from there. So those were just some of my takeaways. And I just, I loved hearing from him and, and I'm excited to, to talk to him more in the future about, you know, what's happened in New York City in his ministry and with those players. Yeah, next week, we're so excited to bring you guys Cal Kern. Cal is a personality, and you're going to absolutely love him. He's been, he's been, he did radio for a little bit. He was on the Toronto Metros as a professional soccer player for a bit. He's been a part of FCA, Score International. He's been a chaplain of UB. His son is the punter of the Tennessee Titans. We can't wait for you to hear our interview with him. Here's a little of our interview of Cal Kern. I had a tryout for the Olympic team in 1972 and the night before the trial in Annapolis, Maryland, I was playing pickup basketball. You know how we just mess around. You know, just throwing around, throwing the ball around and being stupid. Well, I, I sprained my ankle the night before the tryout in Maryland, and I couldn't go. I had a legitimate shot to be on the 72 Olympic team. And remember, in the sweat room, we get it, got it, give it. Thanks for listening to The Sweat Room, a podcast of Watermark Wesley and Church. 